Hello, and welcome to the Smart Injury Doctors Podcast, the injury market's top program for doctors, lawyers, and insurers who want to gain greater insight on how to improve patient recovery results and deliver better services in the U.S. injury market. Please welcome your host, Dr. Jeffrey Allen Kronk. Okay, doctors, what I want to talk about today is sort of the fallacies of alteration motion segment integrity. And like what I see, I've been in this market for a long time, what I see with it. So I want to discuss it today. But first, what I want to talk about, obviously, if we're going to talk about alteration motion segment integrity, we should actually talk about what is it? What is alteration motion segment integrity? Is it a diagnosis? Because it's certainly not a diagnosis. There's no diagnosis. There's no ICD-10 code that says alteration of motion segment integrity. So what is it? Um, Alteration motion segment integrity is a term. I mean, just by alteration, okay, altering, everybody knows what that means, motion segment integrity. So obviously you've altered or damaged the integrity of the motion segment. That's what it means, right? Now it first shows up in the AMA guides, in the AMA guides for the evaluation of permanent impairment. And it shows up as an excessive motion problem. So, and that excessive motion problem has exact measurements with it. So it's a measured phenomena that says, hey, greater than 3.5 millimeters of translation or greater than 11 degrees of angular difference from segment to segment, or if you're looking at six edition, greater than 20% of slippage on a body, you know, one body over another body, we call that alteration motion segment integrity. So it's a term in the AMA guides. Now, does that make it a diagnosis? No. Does that make it a condition? No. The condition itself would be called a spinal instability. So anytime you have excessive motion, if there's a motor sensory or a nerve problem associated or a pain problem associated with that, um, with that amount of excessive motion, you call it a spinal instability. So you could also call it a spinal subluxation. Um, That's the clinical term for these things. You know, is alteration motion segment integrity a spinal subluxation? Yeah, they're the only spinal subluxation guidelines that uh have ever been uh put forth where that where they were spinal subluxation guidelines um say that alteration motion segment integrity is just a component in alteration motion segment integrity in the ama guides it's just a component of a subluxation complex so if it arises to a clinical expression it's called a spinal instability now we also have this term called ligament laxity Ligament laxity just means the ligament is lax. It doesn't say that the ligament is a problem or that it's causing problems. It just says that you have ligament laxity. Uh, when you have ligament laxity that causes the motion units to interfere with the nerve, causing uh, motor sensory or pain problems, it's called a spinal instability. Technically, it, it now is either called a spinal instability or spinal subluxation. You can call it either one. It's causing interference in the system and it's causing a symptom. Ligament laxity does not have symptoms associated with it. Other than the idea of the ligament is stretched and it's allowing for the motion unit to move more. But if that motion unit is moving more and it's not causing any problem, it's not a problematic condition. So one of the biggest fallacies that I see doctors or one of the biggest things that I see doctors, two things. One is they think that you have to have some sort of a rateable level of excessive motion for it to be a serious injury. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
you could have moderate levels of instability, moderate levels of, of spinal excessive motion that are highly debilitating for the patient. I mean, you take, let's say you got a 2-3 translation and uh, C2, C3 translation, and you're at 3.1 millimeters of excessive motion, back and forth translation. Um, you look at that and say, wow, well, okay, that could affect the, the second and the third cranial nerve. So, you're, you know, you're talking about the greater and lesser occipital nerves. So let's say the patient has headaches and they, you can't get rid of the headaches and now they're going to have headaches for the rest of their life and the headaches are going to be very, very debilitating. Is that a debilitating injury for that person? A hundred percent. Remember, each person is uniquely different. Each person it has so many different factors associated with them that there no two injuries are alike in, 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 a, in a human body. The injuries themselves are the same. A disc herniation is a disc herniation. Excessive motion due to damage from the support ligaments is the same. A fracture is the same. The person that has the fracture, has the support ligament damage, or has the disc herniation, or has combinations of those, they're all different. Right? They're all different. One has diabetes. One has high blood pressure. One's obese. One's in great shape. One's on an on a organic diet with 4% body fat. One's on, you know, one's on a total sugar diet. One's chronically inflamed. One's not chronically inflamed. The people are all different. So you can't say that you have, you know, it has to be rateable in order to have a serious injury. That's nothing could be farther from the truth. That's not the case. Now, the other thing that I see, and this one's, this one's the most interesting one to me, is you have, you have these mostly chiropractors. I don't see it so much in the medical profession. Running around to attorneys saying, oh my gosh, let me show you alteration motion segment integrity. Let me talk to you about motion segment integrity, alteration motion segment integrity. Or, you know, I'm a CEO of a company, that radi medical radiology services, where we measure for these things and give reports. And I see doctors actually going, okay, let me show you this report. Well, the attorney doesn't understand. They don't understand excessive motion. They don't understand what alteration motion segment integrity even is. They don't understand a lot of times, or nor do they even like impairment guidelines. The only reason why they don't like them is because they don't know what they are. Nobody's explained that impairment is always caused from an injury. So if you could replace the word impairment with injury, and you could say these are the injury guidelines. When you injure this part of the heart, this is the effect that we say it's going to have on the whole body. If you injure this part of the spine, this is the effect that it's going to have on the whole body. If you injure this shoulder, this is an effect it's going to have on the whole body. So the impairment guidelines are injury guidelines. They're not, they're not impairment as a loss, loss of use of, or derangement of any body part, organ, or organ system. Derangement of any body part. It's impossible to derange a part without injuring it. It's a it's impossible to lose a part. If I lost my arm, I can't do that without an injury. It's impossible to lose the function of a part without injuring some part in order for me to lose the function of that part. Impairment guides are injury guidelines, but you don't start that way. You don't start to communicate, well, you know, look at, look at how high this impairment is, and this is going to help you to prove your case. They don't understand what impairment is. They don't understand. So it, it's like you're speaking French to them. It's the most ridiculous thing. It's, it, I don't teach doctors to do it. Right? Now, what you can do is you can say, look, these levels, these injuries can rise to the level of a spinal fusion surgery and needing a spinal fusion surgery. Now, why would I say that? Why would, look, 
Um, these non-disc ligament injuries can cause the need for spinal fusion surgeries. Why would I say that? Because that's why you have spinal fusion surgeries. You don't have spinal fusion surgeries to correct a disc, generally. There's two things you can do with a disc. You can do a minor discectomy, um, you know, minimally invasive discectomy, or you can do a disc replacement surgery. But you don't do a fusion, generally, to handle a disc. You do a fusion to handle excessive motion. You do a fusion to handle uh, in spinal instability. That's why you do a fusion surgery. So if you look at fusion guidelines, in the fusion guidelines, because today doctors can't just do spinal fusions. You can't go to Blue Cross Blue Shield or you can't go to Aetna or you can't go to United Healthcare and say, hey, I'm a surgeon. Because I say so, the patient needs to have a spinal fusion surgery. It doesn't work like that. It used to work like that 30 years ago. It doesn't work like that anymore, 30 or 40 years ago. Today, what it works like is, hey, we got guidelines. We have criteria that has to be met in order to meet a pre-authorization for a spinal fusion surgery. And one of the biggest pre-authorization factors is excessive motion. And you'll see right in it the factors that are also the factors. So when people build surgical guidelines or they build guidelines, they rely on other guidelines. They get in with these committees and they don't go, hey, let's build a guideline from scratch. Now they look and say, hey, are there other guidelines? Yeah, we got these impairment guidelines. Hey, if something's impaired, what do we have? Well, we have fracture, we have excessive motion, or we have disc herniation. Hey, what are the excessive motion numbers? Hey, they're 3.5 millimeters of translation, back and forth motion, greater than 11 degrees of angular finding, or a 20% shift in the body of one body over the other body. Hey, I know, let's use those in the surgical guidelines. So they're the exact same criteria as in the surgical guidelines for pre-authorization of spinal fusion surgeries. So if I want to talk to an attorney about permanent injuries, I'm going to talk to them about surgical guidelines because at least they have an understanding of surgery. Well, gosh, if, if I have an injury that rises to the level of a potential surgery, is that going to have a higher benefit need for the person? Yes, they understand that. They can relate to that. Now, when I have them in that conversation, I might be able to bridge them over to where, well, where do these numbers come from? And they come from the permanent impairment guidelines. They're one of the three main sources of spinal impairment, fracture, excessive motion, and disc herniation. Right? So the fallacy is, is you, you're not going to lead with this information. No, you're not going to lead with this. It's like leading with Greek when the person doesn't understand Greek at all. You're never going to, it's never going to work. So if you're, if you're out there right now and you've been leading with this information and thinking, oh, you're, the personal injury attorneys in your area are just going to love this stuff. Yeah, you may have some that are a little bit more educated than others and they understand what you're talking about, but the majority of them, um, it's not going to work. So there's much better ways to do presentations than running around talking about alteration, motion, segment, integrity, talking about a subject that the attorney doesn't know a lot about and a lot of doctors don't even know about. So if I'm out there and like, I know a lot about it and I'm saying I know a lot about it, I teach doctors to do a lot of presentations and I teach them not to talk about it, not on initial presentations. Why would I want to confuse the attorney with something that they don't understand? I'm going to talk, I'm going to teach doctors to talk about things that the attorneys do understand. Start with points of understanding and then bridge from there. Right. So it just it just makes it a lot easier. I might talk if I've got an attorney that's big in his sports. Good. 
I'm going to use the athletic return to play parameter guidelines. Those guidelines use the same number as the impairment guidelines, same number as the surgical guidelines, and say if you have these findings, it's a relative or an absolute contraindication to putting the person right back into contact sports. Contact sports could be football, could be jiu-jitsu, could be kickboxing, things where there's contact involved, where you know you got some significant contact involved. And so you might want to let these injuries heal a little bit before you put them back in that. So doctors, alteration motion segment integrity, don't get me wrong, I love it. When I first read it in 1995, I thought, wow, the AMA has validated my profession, professional chiropractic better than the profession of chiropractic has validated itself because it said the subluxation that I work on is, is a 25% whole person impairment, which means 25% of their activities of living are somehow going to be negatively influenced either now or into the future. And that's a hell of a validation for the thing that I call a spinal subluxation and that the sp only spinal subluxation guides in the world that were developed specifically for spinal subluxation say the same thing. Right. So I looked at it and said, wow, this is very, very validative and I understand it. It's it's phenomenal things, but I just don't lead with it. I don't lead with it because it doesn't communicate. And if you're going to lead with things that don't communicate, your communication is not going to lead to the types of things that you're looking to do with it. So that's what I wanted to talk about today on alteration, motion, segment, integrity. If you've got any questions Look, we have a private Facebook group. I have a group called the Smart Injury Doctors. Anybody can check us out at www.smartinjurydoctors.com or call us at 800-940-6513 and schedule a call. You know, get on a call, find out more about us. Um, we have a free Facebook user group where I put out all kinds of free information. You can get involved with that. But what I do on these podcasts, short riff, Try to get right to the point, give you something that's actionable that you can use. I appreciate what you do, and I will look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. You've been listening to the Smart Injury Doctors Podcast, the number one audio production show for professionals in the U.S. injury market that want to deliver better injury services to the patients, clients, or insureds they serve. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review, and don't forget to join us on our next program.